1: Newspaper since 1971. Bonus time of the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, February 2nd, 2024. As I always like to do, I like to read a headline from the newspaper, at the Daily newspaper, to give you an idea of what's going on in the news. And most times, it has nothing to do with what I'm going to have a conversation about. But in this particular case, I feel it's a What I'm about to read is relevant to the conversation about to have with my distinguished guest who's patiently waiting uh, to be introduced. So, distinguished guests, pay attention while I read this uh, item from the New York Times, a front-page story. I will now show my distinguished guest that I am supporting newspapers. I'm not a millennial who just steals it from the Internet for free, okay? Uh, I get it from Twitter, Ben. Um, (laughs) Millennials, you know I love you. All right, uh, New York Times, front-page headline. Biden cuts off Israeli settlers tied to attacks. Dual message targets West Bank violence. Okay. Uh, And here's the lead. President Biden on Thursday delivered broad financial and travel sanctions on Israeli settlers accused of violent attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank, a forceful gesture aimed in part at Arab American voters in the United States who have expressed fury about the president's backing of Israel's war in Gaza. For Mr. Biden, the order served a dual purpose. It was a sharp diplomatic notice to Israel's governing government at a time when the United States is pressing Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for restraint. But it also sent a message to Arab Americans, a key part of the political coalition. He needs to be reelected, and he is serious about using the power of the United States on behalf of the Palestinians. All right, I'm going to put this down in as calm as I can, make a few comments and then uh, ask my guests to introduce and we'll take it away uh, with a larger conversation. So this follows on the heels of what I consider to be a very important vote in the Chicago City Council on Wednesday when the City Council voted 24 to 23 to endorse a resolution calling for a ceasefire uh, in Gaza Uh, essentially calling on uh, Israel to stop the bombardment of Gaza and the killing of Palestinians. And this, um, why I think this was an important measure, uh, number one, the least significant part, it showed that Brandon Johnson uh, had a mastery of the legislative process, and I feel he did a very good job of getting his team across the finish line which is a conversation I'll have at another time with somebody else. Uh, I don't think my distinguished guest wants to talk about that, but I do think that Brandon Johnson did a great job of winning. And it's time the press corps of Chicago recognized that for what it was, a great legislative effort. Up Right up there was Rom. Anything Rahm ever did, anything Daley ever did, anything Lori Lightfoot ever did, it's time to give the man credit, Chicago press corps. All right, uh, number two perhaps the most important thing, it signaled to the Democratic Party that it was a new day on this issue and that the old way of dealing with the Middle East and the conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine, between Israelis and Palestinians, uh, was no longer acceptable uh, in the Democratic Party. Now, MAGA is a whole other thing. MAGA officially endorses whatever right-wing stuff is coming out of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, and the people to the right of him. It's like, do whatever you want to do. Turn it into a parking lot. That's the MAGA line. But within the Democratic Party, the Democrats have to be aware that a significant portion of their base cannot tolerate this policy. I'm just trying to speak it as euphemistically uh, as I can. They view it as genocide. They view it as murder. They view it as uh, extinction, if you will. Now, this Democratic Party has to somehow or other figure out a way, figure out a strategy in which they can do the right thing in the Middle East without, what, pulling apart their coalition? And it's a challenge. I admit it's a challenge. I'm not minimizing the difficulty that Biden and all the rest of Democrats face on this. But the reality is before you find that policy, that strategy, you have to acknowledge that the old ways of doing business in the Middle East are not working, not only not in the Middle East, but politically for you. You want to win Michigan? You want to win that, uh, the state of Michigan in the 2024 presidential election against Donald Trump? You got to figure this out. There's other states where the Arab-American population is significant. Not just the Arab-American population, young people, lefties, my beloved lefties. My, I, I don't know a lefty in the, in the city of Chicago says they're going to vote for Biden, except for me. I'm probably the only one, and, and all the lefties are mad at me for that. But this is a reality, Biden. This is a reality, Democrats. This is reality, Governor Pritzker. you got to figure this out. And Brandon Johnson, he was elected by a movement that was demanding a change in U.S. foreign policy in this area, and he responded to his movement. And I give him credit for that. I also give him credit for the way, once again, I know this is the least important part, the way he got on that phone and made the calls and got four people to walk off the floor, distinguished guest. one, two, three, four authors left the floor. And that's how uh, they got to 20 through 23 and then he cast the deciding vote. So I believe that what went down uh, on Wednesday was not a waste of time. It was not the Chicago City Council moving out of its lane. I think people say that only because they are, don't like what the City Council did as opposed to the City Council weighing in. I believe that what happened on Wednesday was a significant like wake-up call for the Democratic Party on this issue. I'm not even talking about what's the right thing to do. That's, again, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. I'm just talking about what politically is the smart thing to do. So, kudos to the Chicago City Council uh, for delivering a wake-up call to President Biden and the Democratic Party. All right, enough of me on that. I'll ask my distinguished guests to introduce yourself and then away we go. Distinguished guests.
0: Hi, I'm Ramana Hussain. I'm a editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times.
1: Yes, that Ramana Hussain, dear friend of the show, comes on every other week. Uh, uh, Ramana, I know you have some strong feelings about everything uh, that I was just talking about. I don't know if you agree or disagree with me uh, about what I have to say. Uh, you have the right uh, to disagree with me strongly with anything I said, if you want to. And I will just point out, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, that I believe, and I know all of you out there also believe that Ramana Hussein uh, has the right to free expression and to speak her mind. And so, if you don't like what she says, don't strike. Don't try I'm to cancel her. Okay? Can you restrain yourself from canceling her? All right? Just let listen to what she has to say, and if you disagree, respond. But don't try to cancel her. She's an excellent journalist, a great writer, and a dear friend. So. Just let her the space to speak her mind. All right, Romana, how to do that? The floor is yours.
0: I don't know if I'll be. I don't know if I'll be canceled by your um, listeners necessarily, but I'm sure I, I've been can't. I am sure i have been can i i have already been canceled by a lot of people just because I exist. So, um, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. I I, I think as someone from my background, um, you know, I'm someone who's Muslim, so my viewpoints of the Middle East and the situation um, in the Middle East involving the Israelis and Palestinians hasn't been the same as um, our foreign policy has been for decades. Um, I have always uh, know, known that the Palestinians have been treated as second-class citizens in the Middle East and that speaking out against Israel has never been popular. You can definitely get um, lose your job and that is still the case you can get denied from jobs if you express a certain viewpoint about what's happening in the middle east um there was um in the beginning of all this post october 7th um i don't know if you noticed but there was a really high-powered Holly, hollywood agent who is middle east and she middle middle eastern background and or maybe she was iranian um i forgot what her background was but she wasn't um a white judeo-christian person And she had tweeted something and she tweeted an article about um, what was happening to the Palestinians. I don't know if there was a certain language that offended people. But um, after she had tweeted that, um, they had tried to get her fired um, at her company. And she was she's a really, really high powered um, agent, Hollywood agent. And Tom Cruise had to interfere to help her keep her job. But she lost her position. Um, so we a lot of us Muslims and and or Arabs have been like giving Tom Cruise props. Not that we necessarily like him. But, you know, there's um, there are some Latina women um, involving the Scream franchise who got um, lost their jobs um, from the next Scream movie because of they sympathize with Palestinians. So it's still out there. Um, I think it's changing, and I think that's what's making a lot of people uncomfortable, particularly white Judeo Christians who always have believed that Israel can do whatever it wants and it has a license to do whatever it wants. And, um, without really thinking of the consequences of what they're saying and what they're saying it has is being allowed to do. And I also think it's important to note that, um, boomers and Gen Xers, a lot of them have not grown up with People who don't look like them, or if they did, they never really thought of them as their friends. They treated them as their others. And a lot of younger millennials and um, Z's, they have friends who are Muslims, they have friends who are Palestinians, they have friends who are Arab Americans. Their friend circle isn't just white, Jewish, and Christian people. And they have been looking at these issues a lot more critically. I have a friend who, uh, uh, one of my coworkers at the Sun Times, they're a married couple. and. She's Catholic, um, white, doesn't really have any skin in the game in terms of, although, you know, there are Christians in the Middle East too, but she said that she never really had talked about Israel, um, or, you know, Palestinians. And her daughter is very, like in her, she said her daughter's not that political, but she's been reading up on it and the history and get, is getting all angry. So this is something that a lot of younger people, and I think what the Biden administration is, they're banking on and it's, it's offensive to a lot of Muslim and or Arabs. And, and it has been for people of color for a long time that I'm not Trump. And that's what is enough for you, you people to vote for me. It's like the alternative is worse. And it's really offensive to us when we haven't been, you know, treated the same way as white Americans on this issue. It's like, Biden, like right after October 7th, he like comes out and, you know, he's giving a very teary speech. He doesn't mention Palestinians once. He doesn't say the P word once. Um, he gave out a statement just a few days ago. It was like the 100 day, 100 day, 100 um, days since October 7th. And he talked about the hostages. Not one word of the Palestinian casualties, not one word mentioning Palestinians. And so, I know for a lot of people, maybe that doesn't matter, but for people who are Muslim and or Arabs, um, other Middle Easterners, we're paying attention to this. And so for him to throw that bone out there this week after the ceasefire, not saying that they're connected, but the ceasefire resolution was passed a lot of people are, it's not enough. It's, 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 I know he has to walk this line of like, you know, of course what happened on October 7th. And one of the things that I I find offensive, and it can be from both sides. It's like, you can't feel for one or both. Like it's like one or the other and, and you can feel for both and you can't, and you know, the ceasefire, you know, this, this back and forth that's been going on with his ceasefire resolution in Chicago. It's like, It's like some of the objections were just so offensive. It meant, you know, they're like, oh, it doesn't say enough about what happened on October 7th. It's so vague. It doesn't really say what happened, what's been happening to the people in Gaza either. And it's just like the mental gymnastics that people come up with about why Israel has a right to do what it is doing. It's just it's just mind boggling. I mean, We look at past um, wars that we have supported, past wars that we have engaged in, and we sit there and watch documentaries and start crying about how we were so complicit in this. And that's including the Holocaust. And, you know, it happens because we allow it to happen. And things like the resistance to the ceasefire resolution are an example of the type of attitudes that are out there. And, you know, a lot of people are saying things like, oh, this is a complicated matter, and I'm like, I don't know if it's that complicated to say that you want the deaths to end. I know it's a very sensitive issue about what's happening. And but, you know, and then and then there's also this narrative that, oh, you know, Deborah Silverstein, who was pushing against the the city council ceasefire resolution, represents the entire Jewish community. And she doesn't, Um, you know, she might represent a large, you know, swath of the Jewish community, but she doesn't represent Jewish Americans altogether um there was 3 days ago in cleveland there's um only one jewish city council member there as well um obviously it's a smaller um entity but she called for a ceasefire so what are you going to do about that like every you know the way this is framed by mostly old white journalists and old white politicians that this is like so like it's a travesty and it's like it's it, that's what the tribune used in their editorial yesterday and i'm not saying the tribune represents all white people but all the pushback that i've seen all the columnists you know who have been like complaining about like how we're wasting so much time on this resolution they're the ones that are spending a lot of ink on complaining about how much time that's spent on this resolution and i did not hear the same type of vitriol and pushback when Alderman Deborah Silverstein wanted a I I stand with Israel um, resolution and didn't want to include any mention of the Palestinian civilians that have, were being killed. So in in essence, I just think that people don't want to think and they have been making all sorts of excuses to come up with why they're so against it. And I mentioned like, you know, same people who are like, we're pushing against this resolution. They're the same people who watch Vietnam War documentaries and are like, like, you know, applauding all the protesters. Then they're the same people now complaining about the protesters, like, you know, interfering with their uh, driving, you know, you know, the way as they're getting home to work. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that they're not being inconvenienced, but it's just like, they're being Karens about it. Like, they're like, so entitled and they're like, and all they're doing, and it's like, they, you know, we had a syndicated columnist that we run, um, SC Cop complaining and she complained, she actually used the word that in a way people being snarled in ta- traffic are, are, are are in a way being taken hostage. You know what I mean? It's just like, Oh, okay. Way to, way to, way to like, you know, minimize what's happening with the hostage situation in the middle East right now. And it's like, you're comparing your plight to the hostages and, And it's just like, it's just like the rhetoric that's out there. And um, it's just, it's just really disturbing to me. And it's, it's been very like hard for me as someone who is brown and Muslim to be in a newsroom to see the kind of things that are allowed to be said. But then, you know, things that I write about the Middle East are like heavily edited. And, you know, it's like you have all these people zoning in to make sure that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm using the right language. Like, you know, there's all this like, oh, you got to make sure you mention October seventh, And I have done that in every single piece that I did. But I haven't seen that by people when they write pro-Israeli stories. I haven't seen the same sort of demands for people who write those kind of stories. So it's it's just been interesting. I, I, and one day, I, Ben, I will talk to you all about it. But I, I just feel like, I just feel like a lot of things that I've experienced in the last three months have been very telling. I I'd like to think that, you know, the world has changed, but in a lot of ways it hasn't. And I think it's really sad that there was so much resistance to this resolution. I mean, my, I can tell you like, as a you know, people, some of my friends and relatives who like haven't been found, haven't been following this um, back and forth with this ceasefire resolution and um, with Alderman Deborah Silverstein's resolution, they are just so perplexed that it's so close, that it was so close, that it was 2323. And of course, there was like interest, there was also like, um, there was like some, there were some moments of levity also during, uh, the, um, discussion on Wednesday. A lot of us were laughing at Alderman James Gardner speaking Arabic and, you know, kind of like, you know, being the champion. So uh, of like, you know, saying, you know, this is wrong. And like, you know, I have like so many constituents and, and it's just like the him like using um Arabic, it, it did crack a lot of people up. And, you know, and, and, and I, I do think that um, I think 20, 30 years from now, there's going to be documentaries about what happened. And, there's going to be so much footage of Biden being used, so many footage of what happened in Chicago and the other other things that people have said and it's going to be the same thing again and history repeats itself and you know i I just think I just think it's the last couple of months have been very telling for me and very eye opening for me and you know I want um peace i want I want there to be some sort of peace, and I know it's not easy and I know it won't be easy to get there but I think it's okay to call for peace and say that you want the fighting to stop whether that means Israel you want Israel to stop b- bombing and you want Hamas to release the hostages and you know stop sending rockets into um areas where there's Israelis I think I think that's okay to say that and and say that you don't want You don't want more innocent people to die because, let's face it, most of the 27,000, I just checked the death toll last time, um, just a few minutes before I jumped on with you, the death toll is over 27,000 right now. And most of those people are innocent civilians. I think about 11,000 of those or more are children. And so I, I think it's okay to ask for peace. And I think it's okay to say you want the fighting to stop. And it's sad that there's so much resistance to saying that and that that is so politically charged and that is supposed to be wrong for you to feel that way. It just it it, it just saddens me. Just that's my personal opinion.
1: All right. Let, let, you give me a lot to respond to. I was taking notes dutifully. Uh, Number one, uh, your tangent about old white journalists. Uh, I think you've been hanging around me too long. Uh, You sound like me complaining about baby boomer journalists. Uh, You've always been quiet when I've gone on those rants and raves. Uh, Maybe you got your little taste of it. Uh, And uh, you're like, hey, maybe Ben was right after all. And that's going to leave it at that. Uh, No, no, no.
0: I complain about baby boomers all the time. I'm just saying.
1: No, no, no baby boomer journalists in yes. the city of chicago taking oh. whatever, whatever handout a uh, daily or rom gives them all right uh they're here i'm not gonna go down that path
0: <laughs> i i i have an issue with baby boomer journalists too
1: yeah they're they're pretty much worthless all right uh and uh okay uh so moving on from my thing about baby boomer journalists um the world has wow so much to riff on um the world has changed. I'm gonna, it's changed dramatically. Uh, and I'll just give you a few examples. And it maybe hasn't gone far enough. You're absolutely correct, but it has changed. And I'm just gonna go back to play the old man, the old baby boomer with you, uh, cause you're a youngster compared to me. But, uh, in 2003, just think back in this. Uh, when uh, George Bush and his infinite Id- idiocy uh, and uh, launched an invasion in Iraq, even though they had nothing to do with 9-11, uh, and um, there was protests in the city of Chicago. Uh, the uh, protesters actually shut down Lakeshore Drive, inconveniencing a lot of drivers, pissing off a lot of people. Uh, Mayor Daley responded, Mayor Daley, the guy you keep electing Chicago, that you, the guy that the Tribune and the Sun-Times endorsed each time around, baby boomer journalists, uh, and and um, Mayor Daley responded by making sure his police rounded up those protesters, hauled them off to jail, and, and uh, kept them there for quite a while. And that resulted in some uh, litigation, some lawsuits, and money had to be paid out, etc. about a lack of rights uh, for the demonstrators. But he sent a message, and the message is that Chicago is very pro-war in the Middle East. Chicago is very pro invasion of Iraq and if you mess with Lakeshore Drive or if you do dare to do any uh civil disobedience we are going to hit you hard and uh George Bush showed his thank you to Mayor Daley that Mayor Daley by flying to Chicago uh the a couple years later, I think it was, to celebrate his 60th birthday in Chicago with Mayor Dale. A little history lesson there, Millennials and Zs and uh, Gen Xers. So the world has changed when I think of Mayor Brandon Johnson actually taking the lead on an initiative that's contrary to the foreign policy stances of pretty much every single president in my lifetime, uh, with the possible exception of the great Jimmy Carter. And uh, so the world has changed there. And furthermore, and this is what I'm going to get your thoughts on, it would have been absolutely unimaginable to me that an editorial in any of the mainstream newspapers back in 2003 would have stood with the demonstrators against Mayor Daley and George Bush. Uh, and the Chicago Sun Times editorial. Giving you credit, Bright One. Okay. I just want to show Romana, home subscriber, support the newspaper. Giving you credit, Bright One. Uh, I thought that was a gutsy editorial. And uh, I, I did not read the online version. I only read the one that came to my home because I am a subscriber sometimes. I'm the one who pays the bills. Uh, and, uh, but I did read that one. I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I thought it was fair. I thought it was neutral. I thought it pointed out the grievances that each side has. It uh, pointed out the atrocities of the slaughter of Israelis on October 7th, and it pointed out the atrocity of this ongoing slaughter and carnage in Gaza. So I think some things have changed. And that editorial, I'll conclude by this, was, um, uh, it was linked to, that, was, that editorial was mentioned in the resolution uh, that was passed as a reason why we should pass this resolution calling uh, for a ceasefire. Uh, I would argue that that was the most significant editorial the Chicago Sun-Times has written in this century, right up there with their endorsement of Lori Lightfoot, which they're very proud of. I don't know how much proud the Sun-Times of this is of the ceasefire resolution, but I would say it had uh, a, <laughs> a pretty big impact on that vote. So things have changed, Ramona. They may have not have changed enough, But things have changed. That's my riff. Your response.
0: Well, (laughs) um, there's not that many people like me in the newsroom in terms of being a brown person and or a Muslim person. I am on the editorial board, and um, I'm sure people look at those editorials or that editorial that was written in December and look at the makeup of the editorial board and look at someone like me and go, Mm, that's the reason, and I'm talking about more conservative people who look at the Middle East in the still old school way. Um, and yes, maybe or maybe I did not write that editorial, but I did. Um, I will say that. Um, this was the one in December. And um, I can tell you that um, it was something that I had wanted to write, but all my our members on the editorial board had agreed that a ceasefire was needed after we talked to humanitarian workers, after we talked to um, someone who wanted a ceasefire, who was Jewish, a Jewish American lawmaker. It was a group of diverse people from different backgrounds, and um, they really laid down good arguments. And um, um, someone like me probably would have been um, more more, more, um, harsh, but you know, it, I wrote that editorial on behalf of the editorial board. And so I wanted everybody's voice in there. And, um, and, and I w- at the end of the day, I was really happy with that editorial. I, it is something that I believe in. And, um, I've note, you know, in the past, there have been editorials that the Sun-Times has written when it comes to Middle Eastern policy, when it comes to foreign policy, and they're not the way I have thought. And they're not the way that I think of. And yes, the, in the past, we like just support anything that the government does. And I think Alderman uh, Laspata had a good point. Uh, like he tweeted the other day um, that it's not the job of American government if, uh, or elected officials like local elected officials to mimic or support everything that our foreign policy or inter, uh, international or U.S. foreign policy you know, has you know, that's out there. And he goes, and if you do, you haven't really been paying attention to the last 50 years of our foreign policy. And so I think, you know, as leaders, we have a more diverse world and we have different people who are connected to parts of the world. And I think one of the things that's really hard or hard for me to accept or makes me sad to think about is like after 9 11. Um, I mean, even before 9/11, I was still considered the other. You know, I was never really seen as American. Uh, my parents always told me, like, whenever I would tell them I'm American, they're like, "Ah." Oh. My dad used to be like, "Listen, little girl, if you walk down the street, nobody's looking at you and thinking American." And um, the older I get, the more I realize my parents were. My dad was really right. I I I've started thinking more like my dad because I used to be very hopeful about this country when I was younger and. <laughs> thought that they were always pushing towards the right thing, but the older I get. And the past couple of years and the past couple of months have showed me that really there's less, I have less hope now than I used to. And after 9-11, there was a lot, the way people treated my community and the Middle Eastern community was as if we were not American. And it was sad. We had to go out of our ways to show how American we were. And to show people like, Oh, we like the flag. Like my mom, like, you know, she showed up in front of her on the front lawn. She bought like a flag that was bigger than her to put in, in front of the front lawn. And I told her, I'm like, are you really like want that flag out there or are you just scared? And I mean, you know, <laughs> she was scared, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's cause she was scared. And, and, and it's sad that this is what we had to do like show everybody like that, we wear red, white and blue, like we they do, we like eating the same food we do. And it was sad. And it's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm tired of doing that and showing like, mostly white Americans that I'm like that because them because I'm not like them. I think differently, my worldview is differently. And I think that's what's scaring a lot of white, mostly white Americans, is that they're being made feel to feel uncomfortable about our foreign policy when it comes to Israel and that Israel isn't right. And that's being challenged by not only like people who are brown and black, but also a lot of people who are white, including their own children. And I think that's what's making them uncomfortable and they're panicking. And I think the Biden administration is totally out of touch and is not paying attention to how much our... Um, you know, basically involvement and his silence on a lot of things is going to affect the elections. And, you know, you have someone like Nancy Pelosi, like saying, oh, these protesters have connection to like Russia. Like, that's just offensive. Like, this is like the old school, like you guys are like, you guys are just, you're basically kind of like, what's the difference between you and the Republicans? I know a lot of Democrats are going to find middle of the road. Democrats are going to find that offensive. But that's what a lot of young Americans are looking at you, especially by the things that you're saying or not saying. And um, so, like, yeah. And so I think a lot of the language that I find have found problematic in the last two months, um, last three months, I should say, almost four months, is the way um A lot of Americans keep saying, oh, the Jewish community has like so many ties to the people in Israel. And we live in Cook County, like me and other um, reporters who are, I'm not Middle Eastern, I'm Indian, but me and the Middle Eastern reporters and others had to keep telling our news editors, like, you know, there's Palestinians here. And it turns out we have the largest, the largest Cook County, largest population of Palestinians outside the occupied territories are in Cook County. There was, what was important to me also to note and why I thought it was important for Chicago to pass the ceasefire resolution was that people are, have already forgotten that it was just days after October 7th that a little Palestinian boy was killed because his landlord was listening to the radio and listening to right-wing radio. And he got like so scared of the six-year-old Palestinian boy that he killed him. And... And I don't think people are like putting the two and two together, that that there's not they don't think that there's they don't think of people like me or Arab Americans are American are have relatives overseas or that we're Americans and that we could be feeling hurt, too. And so this is why it's always disturbed me that whenever there's like an attack, a terrorist attack or some sort of like natural disaster that happens in Europe, like, you know, there's there's a certain part of America that is like so upset. And then when there's something that happens in a black and brown country, it's like you just see the difference of reaction in the the way that people respond to a tragedy overseas if it's a black or brown victim. And so this has just been what's been perpetuated with the discussion that I've been seeing and the refusal. to like when you do speak out, it's the pushback that you get. That you are being somehow anti-Semitic when you criticize Israel. And I still think that's there. I mean, now people are saying, oh, yes, you can criticize Israel, but you're still being anti-Semitic when you say X, Y, and Z. And so people, you know, I'm not saying that anti-Semitism doesn't exist. I will say that it does. And it's, it's bad and it's gotten bad since October 7th. So it was Islamophobia. But the difference is, I think, anti-Semitism by many Americans, not every American, Ben, I know you know, is condemned. But Islamophobia is usually pretty much given a pass. And it has been pretty much given a pass since 9-11. I mean, people who make Islamophobic statements can become elected officials without any worry. Meanwhile, if a student expresses any sort of sympathy towards Palestinians, it could cost him a job. All right, I'm going to
1: push back a little bit about anti-Semitism being condemned. And I'm really going to try to say this as calmly as I can, uh, because no matter what I say, someone's going to get pissed off. But I am going to say this. So I believe that the real threat to Jewish people in this country comes from the right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe it. And it's, you go, oh, Ben, why can't you say that? It's the right that supports Israel the most. And I'm like, when I listen to the, the right wing talk about Israel, they want Jews in America to move to Israel. They don't talk about Israel like they like Jewish people. They just want to get them out of this country. Like a lot of, <laughs> it's like, go to Israel so we don't have to see you anymore. That's kind of how I view the the, the passionate support. That like the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world have for Israel. Yeah, go to Israel already. Get out of Georgia, because I know you're not going to vote for me. That's me speaking. And so, when I hear the rhetoric that's like kind of approved by the Elon Musk's of the world about replacement theory and how some are other the the Jews are like. Again, it's I mean, we're going to get to Taylor Swift, but this like weird conspiracy theories like in this case, it's the Jews are controlling Joe Biden and the Democrats to bring in immigrants. So they're going to vote. It's to vote uh, Democrat and they're going to win. It's so freaking absurd because by the time an immigrants in this country for 20 years, they're acting like every other republic. They're acting like every other citizen of the country, Ramon. I hate to say it, but it's true. I don't care what your color is. They move out the li- Buffalo Grove, and they end up, oh, my property taxes are outrageous. And by the way, these Venezuelans, can we keep them out of our neighborhood? So I'm not, the Republicans know what they're doing when they start talking about the Jews are trying to replace us. And so when I look at that rhetoric out there and I see how it's become acceptable in the Republican Party, that's a scary, frightening thing to me. I don't remember her Marjorie Taylor Greene denounce uh, the, the rhetoric. I've, I've never heard Elon Musk denounce that kind of rhetoric. Donnie Trump has never denounced that kind of rhetoric. All the I have know a couple of Republicans in Illinois who've done so, Ramana, but most haven't. And so I believe there's uh, a, a serious threat in this country to Jewish people from the right. I don't see it from the left. I've I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of arguments with a lot of lefties on a lot of issues. I know lefties better than anyone, and I just don't feel it on the left, and yet that's what the Republicans are putting out there. They're trying to get Jewish people to vote Republican, uh, somehow or other, a uh, criticism of Israel means you hate Jews. And while wow, they're looking the other way, and Nazis marching through Virginia.
0: So that's no. my- no, 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 and I, I, and I agree with you. And like I said, I don't. I'm not saying that there's not anti-Semitism, but I think, I, I think there's a conflation of criticizing Israel with anti-Semitism. And I'm not saying that there's cases where like someone who's pro-Palestinian isn't saying something like that that could be constructed or is anti-Semitic. I, I understand that, and I, you know, I, I try to listen. I do try to listen. Um, I'm not like I, I mentioned before, I'm not Jewish. So what you're feeling and what you feel is completely different. But the average white person will tell you anti-Semitism, like in the newsroom, will tell you that it's wrong. But when you try to explain that to them and they let things pass about Muslims and Islamophobia and Arabs and Middle Eastern people and Palestinians, it's like they're like, it's like I've been spending the last two or three months trying to like hitting people on the head about Oh, my God, you can't run that. Why did you run that? Like there was something about um, right right after October 7th, um, we had a caption in the paper like I, I'm exhausted because I've been policing. I, I shouldn't say policing, but I've been like monitoring what we write because it's like that kind of language slips away. And people have been doing that. You know, you look at old articles and the way they talk about black people. And I know all people of color and people who are considered the other are doing this all the time, looking at the way we're, the frame that we're talked about and the frame that certain other people are talked about. And like right after October 7th, like four or five days after, there was something about um, how there was a picture of pro-Palestinian marchers in Munich. And it said they described them as demonstrators who supported the October 7th Hamas attack. And then the next sentence was rallies like that have been in, held in Chicago and elsewhere in the world. Now, what is that? Like, they don't think like if I was the editor and I saw that, I would automatically be like, what? And I'm not working on the city desk anymore. But it's like language like that. You, it's dangerous because it's showing you that anybody who like speaks out about, you know, what's happening to Palestinians is automatically ha- pro Hamas. And it's just it's just the language that you use. I mean, the Anti Defamation League um, put out an op-ed in our paper, and they said that voting for the ceasefire resolution was giving Hamas a victory. I I I, that just that just drives me nuts. Like I, I I can't I can't see the correlation. You know, and and you read the resolution, Ben. We have to talk about that. I wanted when I was uh, when I wrote in editorial earlier this week about the ceasefire resolution. Yes, I wrote that too. I um I wanted to make sure my colleagues saw the wording of the resolution, the the like you know the final resolution because obviously there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of negotiation and I went on the website the city hall uh the uh city clerk website and it took I couldn't find it. I was like where is it? I like googled everything and then you know um my husband Mick your friend uh looks up um you know legislation uh city uh, hall proposals and ordinances more than I do. So I'm like Mick come here I cannot find this and then he it took him 15 minutes to find it. So and when I did find when I finally found it and I was told that there was going to be some amendments before Wednesday's city council hearing. I looked at the resolution and I'm like, I don't see anything offensive in here. There's nothing that's saying that Hamas is like wonderful and like, oh, let's like live, give Hamas a victory. So it it just bothers me that that's a rhetoric, rhetoric that's out there and nobody kind of questions like what's going on here. Yeah.
1: Uh oh man, you are now teeing something up for me. Uh I didn't know you were gonna go there. (laughs) I just I just did a whole show, I urge everyone. Uh if if you haven't listened to it yet with Patrick Whalen, we had a feel they on the clerk's website and what a joke it is. And I mentioned Romana and I mentioned Mick and I mentioned a certain person named Joanna, uh, because Joanna was the one who had to ed- 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 essentially send me the resolution. This is the second time this has happened, uh, where I had to search the website for a resolution. The first one had to do with, um, no, there was is the third time Oh, my God. I, how can I forget the India resolution? So there yeah. was the India resolution, which uh, I wanted to read it before Ramona came on the show because we we're going to talk about it. Couldn't find it. I think Ramona sent it to me. OK, so then there was the first um, uh, resolution having to do with blind support for Israel post October 7th after the horrific slaughter. OK, and it was just going to be like Israel can do whatever it wants in the name of self defense. And I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait, just. Stop! Just, just let's pause and mourn, and I don't know, fix the fence and whatever you know before we just start slaughtering people. Uh, and but I wanted to read it before I read. couldn't find that on the website. Then we fast forward to this one. I uh, wanted to prepare for the discussion. We've had two days of discussion on this, Romana, on this show. I couldn't find it, so uh, I yeah I had to turn to Joanna. All oh, you guys made fun of me. Oh, the baby boomer can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mick couldn't. It took him 15 minutes. I love it. it took Mick. They fi- gentlemen. "One thing you know to know about Mick Dumkey, Ramona said, this dude knows how to. Like, he's all in that he's for a, for a, a Gen Xer. He's really smart about computers and stuff. He couldn't find it." Oh, no, is shaking her head. No, he's
0: not. He might be good with finding like legislation online. Yeah, that's
1: what he's good at, yeah.
0: But he he can find legislation online, but he's not. I'm better at him at computers and looking things up because before you guys do your hideout show. Yeah. He'd always be hunched over his computer and (laughs) swearing and like trying to set up the invite. I had to like help him because he like couldn't. He cannot handle computers. Like, he, <laughs> he cannot handle technology. I'm just saying because he does a lot of the stuff.
1: Yeah. All right. I, sure, you're right. Okay. I meant mine. He's really good at finding public documents. Okay. I'll put it yes, that way. He's, he's uh, really good
0: at finding public documents. Oh That's why God. I had to ask for his help. No,
1: moaning and crying from Nick McDumpkey when it came to those Gmail in, invites. Romano, you brought back memories.
0: Oh, I can't take it. Oh, no. God. I told him I told him to tell you to do it. I'm like, why don't you guys do it? And he goes, Ben is not going to do it. And he I'm can't not, do a, it. And I'm
1: not doing it because it didn't bring in anybody. And B, I was also, I'm the one who more or less booked a guest. Did he tell you about that? No, I don't think he told you about that. Um, anyway, uh, the old hideout story. Poor Mick and I, man. But the, the point is, if the great Mick Dunkey, it took him 15 minutes to find it, the city of Chicago's clerk's website, uh, that's proof it's worthless. Uh, and Mick, actually, I called Mick to lament about this, and he said it should have been right there at the top of the page. This is the most pressing, important issue right now that everyone's talking about in the city of Chicago. Here, you, you can read it. Right here, you can make your own decision, Chicago. But no, they treat us like we're idiots. They keep information from us, Ramona. From they don't want us to know, uh, and by the way, I'm gonna chide all the newspaper outlets in Chicago because you guys didn't do the link to it either, and I had the same problem with the last resolution. And I don't know why you didn't link it. it either you couldn't find it yourselves, uh, or you needed Mick Dumkey to find it for you uh or you, i don't i don't know i don't know why they didn't link it uh, yeah
0: the only, the only reason i didn't link it is because um there it wasn't finalized when i i had written my thing but you know when i did the india resolution i i had uh put the the changes that were made in between um you know, when it was first proposed and the negotiations that went back and forth. And this is the India resolution. And I talked to some city, a city hall worker or two, and they said the way this, you know, obviously people are paying more attention to the, you know, the Gaza slash Israel, you know, situation, but the India resolution, they said, whatever happened with the India resolution, it was the same thing. People were saying that this doesn't matter, but. The Indian consulate got involved. There are a lot of people higher ups getting involved because they just didn't want it. And um, I know that there's people that are kind of, um, I mean, people are upset about it. I know people like who aren't part of the Indian diaspora, like they've gone, they've picked up and moved on. But a lot of Indian activists um, of all faiths and backgrounds are so upset about it still um, because they feel like right-wing indians have gotten a hold like they're like the city council's too dumb to realize like who they're aligning themselves with and um you know again it's like the ignorance and this pushback and so i i know there's people who have been trying to look in to see like any sort of connection between the donors and like you know how they voted and you know there's obviously a lot of that going on but it was like for all like There were, for all the discussion about how it wasn't going to do anything and why are we weighing in on this, there was a lot of people pushing it back against it. And as we all know, the resolution failed. No,
1: look, here's, here's, I'm going to boil it down someone who's lived in the city of Chicago since 1981 and has studied you Chicago, so I know you. I Ramona's from Chicago, but I, know, I think I know Chicago as well as her because I've studied Chicago, even though I'm not from Chicago. And here's the thing about aldermen and the city council dealing with a foreign policy issue that they're unfamiliar with. What they'll do is turn to the person whose ethnicity most resembles somebody in that fight. So uh, if it's a resolution about India, They'll go to Raja, Congressman Raja. Hey, what, how should I vote on this? And whatever he tells them to do, they will do. And I don't know if literally that happened, but I'll bet you it did, okay?
0: He now, denies it. Okay. He,
1: <laughs> Raja, come on, man. Stop. All right, then they'll go to State Senator Ram. Uh, they'll go to him, okay? They'll go to some Indian friend of theirs. They'll ask that, the wait, waiter at their favorite Indian restaurant. What do you think? Uh, now, when it gets to the Middle East, they'll look for a Jewish person. And there's only one in the city council, Deborah Silverstein. So I'll be like, what do I do? What do I do? Okay, well, I don't know. And uh, so that's how, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, they make their decision on something like that. And now uh, what we're realizing, Ramana, is it's a new age, at least in the Middle East. I don't think we've reached that new age uh, with India. Okay, I think it's going to be a while. It's going to be like... Do I believe Ramana? Uh, who and they probably already ripped you off as a nut, and, or do I agree, Ra- Raja? Go ahead.
0: Um, I'm at the lowest <laughs> totem pole when it comes to um, when it comes. I don't know if it's a wrong word to use, but I my people are are the lowest on the totem pole of what Americans find palatable for Indian people. Like they, I mean, a lot of right wing. Um, Americans right now are in love with the Nikki Haley's and the Vivek Rama Swami's. Right. Um, and they, you know, they hear my name and they're automatically like terrorists. And that includes liberal Americans, too. Um, so we're not the cool Indians, um, you know, so they're OK. Like, you know, if they find out that we're being discriminated against, we've never been we're, we're not we're not we're um, They, you know, I I think some, uh, most Americans are probably too dumb to realize there's differences between us, but if anyone points out that we're the bad ones, they, 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 they kind of, they know they're like, oh, we're going to, we're going to side with the ones who are like us, like, you know, who say the stuff that we want to hear. So whatever, I'm, I, I, I get it. But I mean, I have to tell you, Ben, like there was an op-ed that, um, we had that was written by, um an Indian Muslim person, Indian American Muslim person. And he, he was talking about what was happening in India. And he was just saying that, you know, he, he kind of had this like long thing and he was, and he, I think this was like probably in light of the guy that was killed in Canada or maybe, um, the American citizen that was killed overseas and, and anyway, and the Indian government might've been involved and, um, yeah. And I just have to tell you, Ben, which I'm sure the same thing is being said about me right now with, um the situation in um, the editorials that have been written in the situation overseas in the Middle East. Um, But I have found um, there's been Twitter chatter about why the editorial board has written certain types of op-eds or has certain type of op-eds. And there was a picture of me and they go, look, because they got this radical Muslim on the editorial board. And it's like, it's like this Indian American group. So I'm just saying that, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure word is on the street that there's a, you know, a crazy Muslim on the editorial board. And that's why certain editorials and op-eds and things are getting put, published in the paper.
1: I realize we just went on that tangent about India and, and I didn't do any kind of, uh, uh, you know, set up for it to explain to people what we're talking about. We've had many conversations about this in the past. Ramada and I, she wrote, uh, at least one column, uh, on the matter. Uh, but it, uh, it, uh, God, I forget when this this is a while back uh, it uh, with-
0: twenty nineteen is before the pandemic, but I've written about the resolution I've kind of tied it into other things when I brought up india Wait, it was, ten
1: long. Long. It was that it was before the pandemic are you sure about that yeah
0: yeah
1: whoa time flies into the future to quote I'm
0: Ramon pretty Street. sure it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't during the pandemic. I don't remember like any sort of mass being worn I thought it was the-
1: after the pandemic no. You know what? Whenever we have these things, she's always right, Ramana. So I'm, I look, she's looking up at her phone right now. Yeah. I say it was post-pandemic. No.
0: The India resolution? No way.
1: The, all, the column you wrote about the Indian resolution? The
0: one that I wrote before it was coming up for vote
1: the one where okay, God. There here's a tangent within a tangent within a tangent. And yeah. listeners are completely baffled. If we don't even know what the uh to set it up. The the resolution that Joe Moore, your favorite oh, okay. old, wore that resolution. Uh and uh when was
0: that? Okay, wait, you're right. You're right. I'm right. <laughs> My God. It was March twenty twenty-one. You're right. I'm I'm just can I folks,
1: can I just bask in that? I am right. I'm sorry, Ron. I couldn't hear you. Could you repeat that? <laughs>
0: you're right. You're right. I thought it was 2019. I don't. You know what? It makes sense because I was home. I remember taking notes on this. Like, I started getting calls and emails, like from brown people who work inside city hall, who were like, "Hey, have you been hearing about this?" And um, other Indian activists and stuff like that. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I guess my 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 um, concept of time has been warped. Like you know. Well, you're you're right. You're right. Yeah. So it's 2021. Uh, love that. I love
1: that. And as I was saying, to quote your favorite rock band, "Time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future." That's Steve Miller. Uh, Romana's a huge Steve. Miller I, fan. I
0: do like some Steve Miller.
1: Uh, how did I know that? She loves classic rock, ladies and. Gentlemen.
0: I, I'm a Gen Xer. I mean, we had the boomers stuffing music down our throat. I mean. <laughs> My parents, my parents are immigrants. I like, you know, because the boomers were controlling the team. I mean, that's why I'm a Beatles fan. But I, I, I love the Beatles, and I, I'm okay with being, being a boomer, a favorite of the boomers.
1: That's I saying. love the Beatles more and more with each passing day. And it's, this is something else. Like, I can't believe this, Romana totally, tangent. Like, Motown. Whenever I do the dishes, I told my wife the other day, I always put on Motown. It, it's like I've heard these songs a million times. And I just can hear them. I don't know if it's a sign of getting old, but it's like, ah, oh, I need to hear this song by the Beatles for the five billionth time. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna listen to Rubber Soul and uh, or the Temptations. I put the Temptations radio on at Spotify. Man, it's just like going back in time. All right, enough baby boomer reminiscing. Uh, we really run out of time. There's so many stuff. That we really can't get into because we run out of time. And uh, this is such an important issue. I'm glad we took the time to address it. Uh, I urge everybody to check Romana's columns about, um, well, just her columns in general, but I'm sure there's a column coming out uh, on uh, the resolution, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, And I have pretty much come to the point, sometimes editorials are uh, not signed, but I'm pretty good at detecting who wrote what uh, and then I go to Ramon, I did so-and-so write this one. Usually I'm right about it. Uh, and I'll just repeat what I said, uh, I think the Sun-Times can be proud of itself for running that editorial. I think that editorial was uh, very respectful to everybody on both sides. I realize it's just it's like a lot of passion here. A lot of people are feeling really hurt obviously, uh, people uh, are feeling hated. Uh, and there's just a lot of anger uh, in the air. I feel a, a want for vengeance is in the air. Um, I, I completely understand that. And so to be sort of like a person who enters a fray as a diplomat, if you will, and tries to reconcile the two sides in, and write a column that uh, acknowledges the pain that each side is uh, feeling is very difficult. And I thought the Sun-Times editorial did a good job of doing that while advocating, while advocating for what has consistently been an unpopular position in this country or an unrecognized position. So I give the Sun-Times credit. Sometimes, you know, I've been hard on you for your editorials down to the years, particularly during those ROM years, particularly whenever there was a teacher strike, okay, a little too in love with whatever mayor is screwing the teachers. But in this particular case, uh I liken it to one where they took the, they were out in front for Lori Lightfoot way back when. I applaud you. So that's my thoughts on it, Ramana. And since you wrote it, I'm applauding you. So excellent work, Ramana, in my humble opinion. Thank you. All right. Very good enough said on that. Ramana is saying there's a name. She'll be back in two weeks. We'll probably talk Taylor Swift. We're probably going to talk Barbie and the Oscars. There's a lot of issues in the air uh, that we didn't get to. Romana has a great riff on Barbie, which I'll just hold off. Well, what later. about
0: is the Super Bowl going to be done by then? <laughs>
1: I don't... Ramana is saying it really keeps up on the sports. Well, so really yeah.
0: I, well, before we leave, I was going to say something really quick. I was at my older sister's house last week for an inter- interfaith thing with mostly Jewish women last week and um, Muslim women that my sister are friends of ours. And um, it was really funny because my nephews were holed up upstairs. I'm um, watching a football game and I'm like, oh, the Bears are playing and everybody made fun of me. So
1: <laughs> As they should. Uh, no, that's like something my wife would do. Uh, no, the Super Bowl will be a week from this coming Saturday. And I just want to urge everybody who haven't done it yet. I'm about to record uh, a uh, conversation with Moise Bawani, who's the Bendrosky Show's football expert. Uh, he coaches football here at the uh, Chicago uh, Public Schools, uh, and so we'll be taking the deep dive in this, in the on this uh, Super Bowl and football, and whether the Bears are going to keep Justin Fields. It's going to be a really uh, geeky sports conversation. I urge everybody to check it out. The Super Bowl Romana is a week from uh, this uh, Sunday, and I will be watching. I haven't missed a Super Bowl. Oh my God. The Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson, Super Bowl was the one I missed. Now I know you know what I'm referring to. In that case, okay, yeah, I know that. Um, all right, thank you so much, Ramana Hussein, and uh, that's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.